Welcome to the GlobalTQM.com podcast, where we teach e-commerce business owners how to source the best products from China, negotiate with Chinese manufacturers, navigate Chinese business culture, and grow your business to seven figures and beyond. David Hoffman is the founder and CEO of GlobalTQM.com, your team on the ground in China. Hey, everybody. Good day and welcome to this week's podcast, where you get to meet your team, your office on the ground in China. And today I'm very happy I've got Joyce here joining us. Hey, Joyce. Hi. Yeah, thank you. How are you? Very good. Thank you. So, Joyce, I know you do a lot of our discovery calls and you speak to a lot of our clients and you get like this recurring question on NNN agreements and NDA yeah. agreements. And you asked me, could we do a podcast dedicated to that? And I think it's a great idea. Yeah, we always get um, some questions about it because obviously there's always concerns about like getting their product copied and stuff like that. So I thought it would be a good podcast. Excellent. I think you're absolutely right. So I prepared a deck. We'll jump straight into it. And um, yeah, I think for the benefit of the audience, keep it interactive. If you've got questions, just interrupt me. And um, yeah, hopefully we'll get everything covered. Sounds good. So... The first thing, guys, what we're going to cover today in NNN agreements is use cases for NNN agreements. When do we want to use them? An NNN agreement versus an NDA agreement. And what is the difference? Why do we actually sign them? And the most important question is, are they effective, right? We don't want to just be signing something that's not effective. And we want to be realistic about the effectiveness. The other thing is, are they enforceable, right? I think People don't think about this a lot, but you really have to think when you're signing something, are you going to enforce it? And if you do need to enforce it, how will you do that? Um, how much time to spend on them? That's an interesting question. I'm going to save that for when we get to that point. Should they be in English or should they be in Chinese? You may think you know the answer already. And are there better ways to protect your IP? And are you, most importantly, being 100% responsible? You're probably wondering what that means, um, but I'm going to tell you right at the end, so you have to stick around to understand what that means. But don't miss out on that, because I do think with any type of agreement, and especially NNN agreements, is you've got to be 100% responsible for the whole process of communicating and sharing information. So let's start with use cases for NNN agreements. Um, typically, you want to sign an NNN agreement to protect your design, to protect your molds, or to protect your packaging. That's kind of what I call the first step or reason to have an NNN agreement. And then you also want to have an NNN agreement to protect original ideas. Maybe you've got a great idea for something and you need to talk to manufacturers about it. You need to protect them. You want to protect your brands and most important you want to protect patents now you might think patents are already protected if they're patented and yes they are but um, you know when you are discussing the details behind patents um, there's a lot of disclosures you have to make around the technical parts behind that patent so it's really important to have an end in agreement for these cases then most Importantly, you know, it's just to generally keep information confidential and safe, right? So maybe you don't have a design mold, an idea or something that particularly requires an NNN agreement, but you still want to just generally have an understanding of keeping 
information confidential and safe. And that could even be simple things like um, your order details, the price you're paying, who your customers are, if your manufacturer finds that out, um, and so on and so forth. And then, of course, you want to just make sure that your factory is clear and aware not to disclose your information, not to deal with competing products or items that may be a conflict of interest. We'll talk about that in a little bit more detail. And most of all, not to copy your product, right? Now, obviously, you've got a lot of questions around this, but just fundamentally, these are the use cases for NNN agreements. You don't need an NNN agreement if all these cases don't apply to you. You may very well sign one for one case just to keep information confidential and safe. So it is generally considered a good practice. Um, to clear up for those of you who don't understand, an NNN versus NDA, you'll mostly be familiar with an NDA, which stands for a non-disclosure agreement. And that's where a third party agrees not to share your information or disclose your information to anybody else. We generally, in China, not only in China, but everything we're talking about here today, please keep in mind, is in the context of developing products in China and sourcing products from China, from Chinese manufacturers. So if you keep that context clear, a lot of what I'm saying will make sense. There are other contexts um, outside of manufacturing from China that you might disagree with some of the advice I'm gonna give you, some of the practical thoughts I'm gonna share with you. So please keep that in mind. Then, so what is an NNN agreement? An NNN is non-disclosure, non-compete and non-use. All right, so you can see that it covers three parts as opposed to only one part that an NDA covers. Now, as we talk and progress more in this discussion, I do want you to understand that there are many cases where NDA is satisfactory and it's not reasonable to expect somebody to sign an NNN agreement. Um, and we'll cover some of those topics in here. So why do we sign them? I think we've covered that a little bit, but more importantly, is the use cases are different to the reason, right? There are reasons to sign this. And the one is it's very important to set expectations. Um, expectations are basically simply agreements between you and a third party or a manufacturer of exactly what the rules of engagement are around confidentiality, non-compete, non-disclosures, non-use, things like that. One of the other reasons we sign them is to judge third party responses. Now, keeping in mind, this is in context of manufacturers that you don't know, and you're trying to develop and build a relationship with. Um, one of the things I look for, and it's a little practical tip, you could call it, is how are third parties responding to you wanting them to sign an NNN or an NDA? And when I say that, it might be good, it might be bad, and it's very often the opposite of what you expect. So. Um, one of the things I look for is somebody happy to say, yeah, sure, send me your NNN agreement and they're super willing to sign it. It's too easy. When it's too easy, it means they might not be clear on the expectations or they might not be taking it seriously enough. I prefer it when somebody comes back and says, oh, I'm sorry, we can't sign an NNN for the following reasons. Now, a lot of people say, but that's crazy. Why wouldn't they sign an NNN? I can't deal with them if they don't. 
And what I want you to think about for a minute is if they're not willing to sign it because they're scared there might be a problem, the first thing that sticks out for me is that they respect it. And that's really important because you want to judge their responses because there's a lot of other factors we'll talk about in terms of relationships. So whether this is going to be enforceable or whether they'll honor it or not, and, and we'll discuss it under enforceability. But the way they respond to signing an NNN agreement for me is a tell sign on how seriously they take an NNN agreement how likely they are to honor an NNN agreement. And, you know, it's the opposite of what you expect. If it's too easy, I would be a bit more hesitant and precautious thinking, have they read this? Are they clear on what it means? Are the expectations set correctly? Whereas when they have problems around it, um, rather than jumping ship, I tend to say to myself, okay, I'm dealing with somebody who is serious about what they're doing, who's willing to honor their commitments, um, so let me rather work through it with them, right? Because often you'll find, you know, understanding where they see a potential conflict is probably the areas you want to focus on. And nine times out of 10, just talking that through and identifying where they see these conflict areas, um, you could clarify the expectations. You can include those points in the document. At least you know where they stand. They know where you stand. And probably you've got a relationship where there's integrity behind this document. So that's, um, that's one way I want you to think about judging the third party. And just generally, it is a show of good faith, right? If it's something very simple you're doing, it's just about keeping information private and it's not particularly complex around patents or, or designs, then it is just generally still shows a sign of good faith rather than Rather do it than not do it, if that makes sense. So, Joyce, I know I'm talking a lot. Have you got any questions there yet? Yeah. I have a lot to cover. <laughs> well, one thing I do wanted to ask is that, like, when do you actually bring them up? Because, like, I know you show, like, show expectations. Is it before, like, you showed them products and designs and stuff like that? Is that, like, yeah. yeah. So is it the beginning, so, I guess? So... It, 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 I think it's based on the circumstances, Joyce. So I wouldn't rush into every relationship saying, hey, please sign on this you know, piece of paper before we talk to you. Mm. Um, it's kind of, if you think about like any relationship, right? Sometimes you've got to get to know each other first. You yeah. Learn about each other, get some exchange information and details, and then you, you, you move into more of a contractual relationship. Now, why I say it's circumstantial is if you have something that's very highly patented or very special design and there really is a lot of IP to protect there, yes, I don't, I'm not suggesting you go disclose that first. But, you know, I would do a lot of pre-checking and pre-discussions with the manufacturer first, explaining that we have something to develop that will require an NDA, but let's first discuss what you do, what you're capable of, what your willingness is, Let's get some general quotes of products you make. You know, just feel that, okay, these are people I can work with and then move yep. to the next step. Yeah, does that make sense? Yes, totally. Great. So, of course, the next question is, are they effective? Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah. And, and in short, the answer is yes, they are effective. Um, 
and that requires a little bit more explanation. They're 10% effective, all right? Now, I'm not saying, oh, they're 10% effective. You shouldn't do them, run away, and everyone's going to cheat you and don't bother. No. Remember what we said before. It, it is good faith. It is important to set expectations clearly, but we have to be realistic, right? They are effective. They can be enforced, but there's a lot of factors to understand around the effectiveness, the enforceability, which we're going to get into. So when I say it's 10% effective, what I'm really saying is of all the things you can do to protect your IP, and there's a lot, this falls in like the 10% or even lower than 10% bracket of the overall way you're going to protect IP. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So don't take 10% as don't do it. Take for all the reasons we've discussed, do it. But we're going to discuss about being realistic and the responsibilities that come with this. So, whoops, I'm going to move on. Are they enforceable? So that leads us to the next question. And I get asked this a lot. So in short, yes, they are enforceable. If they're well drafted, if the clauses are clear, if the breach is clear, and there's lots to discuss around that. But remember, the enforceability comes at a time and it, of, it, comes at, it comes at the cost of time. Okay, and so I want you to think about is to enforce it, you're going to spend weeks, months with information, with lawyers, with courts, with arbitration. So you've always got to think practically with the distraction it takes out of you from your business, from your other things that you're doing is is that worth the time? There's a cost of time. Then, of course, there's a cost of money, right? There's always a monetary cost. To enforce anything like an NDA or an NNM is going to require legal fees, um, locally, internationally, maybe translation fees. There's a lot that goes around it. So I want, and I'm not telling you this to scare you away from it. I like to be practical about things. So... Don't sign it because you think, oh, well, if they do wrong, I'm going to enforce it. Nine times out of 10, I can tell you from experience of 20 years in China now that nine times out of 10, most people, when they're confronted with the issues, will walk away from trying to enforce an NNM because of time and cost. Not everybody, and we'll talk about that a little bit, but it does depend on the size and scale of your business. But most people, nine times out of 10, I can tell you hands down, when they start getting involved in the time and cost, eventually decide it's just not worth it and they move on. So keep that in mind. And that's why I bring it down to the 10% category of protecting mm. IP and getting things done, right? Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. And then what really matters is what is the remedy, right? Is it quantifiable? So if you want to enforce something and you've got general terms that says, oh, we can see you for legal fees, for damages, for this, for that. Who's going to quantify that and agree on that? It's too hard. It's going to be a debate. It's going to take forever. You will get nowhere. So remedy should be simple and clear, right? If there's a breach, you pay me $1,000, for example. If there's a breach, you pay me $100,000, for example. If there's a breach, um, you refund me X, Y, Z, right? Remember, everything's going to be quantifiable because for anybody getting into an agreement like this, 
It's got to be realistic, right? Nobody's going to do something where they earn $5,000 and their risk is $500,000 for confidentiality, right? Everything's a risk reward balance. Um, and we'll talk about that. And that also leads me straight to the next point here in understanding the enforceability is your significance, right? What I mean when I say that is if you're going to enforce it, you have to be meaningful to the supplier as well for them to honor it. You know, we get a lot of clients that come to us, they're going to buy 200 pieces of a product, maybe it's a unique design, and they're putting so much weight onto this NDA agreement or NNN agreement. And you, you, you have to think to yourself, are you significant enough to the manufacturer? Now, if you're a big brand like Nike, of course you're going to sign an NNN agreement. Of course they're going to enforce it. Of course you're going to be you're significant to the factory. They're not going to want to breach it. They're not going to waste their time trying to do it. Um, and you know, Nike is obviously an extreme example, but there's a lot of brands that are doing a million dollars a year out of China and they're probably significant enough to the manufacturer. So I do kind of always say with enforceability is boil it down to your significance with the factory because the time cost and the monetary cost is normally very easy to figure out when you look at your significance, right? If you're buying X, Y, Z, it's not going to be worth your time either to fight something like that. So when it comes to enforceability, I like to be practical and realistic. Which leads me really to the next point, how much time to spend on these NNN agreements. And I raise this because I've seen some people spend two, three, four weeks trying to negotiate the terms of the NNN agreement. And I've seen some people spend half a day, which is fine. Now, generally speaking, I say, if you know what your intentions are, like we spoke at the beginning, you don't want to spend that much time on it. Because if you're haggling over little points on an NNN agreement, it means there's an inherent distrust, number one. Number two is, I've put you as little as possible, which kind of answers that in amending the agreement. Um, so A, there's a distrust, which is fine. B, it's very rare that those little details in an NNN agreement ever become that material or that significant um, because most of the time, if you look at the enforceability um, points I made earlier, you're never going to get there, right? So I say be practical, understand your significance, understand where you're at in terms of volume, in terms of sourcing, in terms of affordability of time and cost to fight an NNN agreement, and then keep it in perspective that, well, if this is going to also be 10% effective in my overall plan and strategy, um, it's probably not worth spending three weeks on it. You're losing valuable time in getting to market. Now, that does not apply to big brands, people that are doing large volume out of China, but those negotiations normally go quicker anyway because the manufacturers are, um, you know, they're putting the correct resource on it. And then, of course, a very real issue I often face is what if a factory won't sign an NDA until there's a PO? And that's always a conflict, right? Because they, you can't disclose information until there's a, a beforehand. So they can't, you can't agree on a purchase order and a price without disclosing that information. 
So, you know, that's where, and we'll talk about it a bit later, you want to work with the factory to a point where at least you've both got some kind of idea of what certain things are going to cost. There's a relationship here that's worth moving forward on. And then you may very well have to raise a purchase order that says mm -hmm. subject to um, final pricing, subject to um, a few things. But and Oh, you make clauses on your purchase order, you need, right? Exactly. Yeah, Joyce, that's right. Mm. So you want to have clauses. So and you give that purchase order subject to signing an NNN agreement, subject to final pricing, because presumably at this point you haven't disclosed that information yet, and subject to a few points. And that's okay. Um, but it's very rare you have to get to that point. I kind of feel like you, you should get far enough where you know this is a manufacturer you can work with, sign an NDA, let them do a final quote, then move to a PO. But when you get stuck like that, you know, you deal with the case-to-case -case on its merits. Um, and, and there isn't a, a, a clear answer. It really depends on who you're dealing with and what else you know about them. And that really comes down to just making a realistic judgment of the relationship. Um, and then you decide how you want to move forward. What do you really know about the relationship, right? You know, we spoke about factories that don't want to sign an NN agreement. A lot of people run away from that. And I go, well, why? You know, probably they're manufacturing something similar. Maybe they've got their own IP that might be a conflict. Um, maybe they've had problems before. Maybe they just really respect NN. Oops, sorry, sorry, he's talking. <laughs> Maybe they respect NNN. So that's where I'll go really dig into the relationship and figure out who these people are, why they're feeling this way, because it may actually very well turn into a positive. And of course, there's a question to ask yourself, do you even need one? Now, we did say this is a show of good faith, so it's nice to have one. You might want to consider, look, if I'm buying 200 pieces, it's really just a simple design that, there's probably a lot of other things on the market similar, but you just love it so much that you want to have an in, in, in agreement. You know, maybe take an introspection and decide, based on what I know now, do I even need one? And we're going to talk about that a little bit more about the other ways to protect IP and what's also more, what makes up the 90% of the, if, if the NDA or NNN is a 10%. And maybe even look here at downgrading, right? If the factory won't sign one, Maybe the NNN is too onerous for them. Maybe they'll sign an NDA and, you know, you have to make that judgment call on just how important your intellectual property really is. Um, and then, of course, finally, you make a call to move if they won't sign anything finally or won't sign a provisional purchase order subject to XYZ. Um, but it really is circumstantial and a case by case. But these are generally the way I look at these things and the way I, I try and come to a rational decision on that. And again, as we said, treat it as a show of good faith. Um, even if it's not that important or significant in your particular product category, and maybe downgrade NNN to NDA if it's just a show of good faith. Um, I, I think that's perfectly reasonable. Oops, let me go back. Oh, sorry. Um, so should you do it in English or Chinese? And this I get asked a lot. And there's not one answer to this. So firstly, for you, obviously English is better because you don't read Chinese, you don't speak Chinese. 
So signing something in Chinese is not actually going to help you at all because you could be signing anything, right? So you need to know what you're signing. So unfortunately for you, signing English is the best. If you plan to enforce it, Chinese is probably the best because when you do take something to court in China or arbitration in China, they generally use Chinese as the language, <laughs> the legal language. And what that really means is um, if you sign it in English and you do need to enforce it, you'll have to get it translated and notarized um, to deal with it in the courts in China. So again, that becomes a cost. You'll spend a couple of thousand dollars having doing that. So you could do an English version, you could do an English and Chinese version and hope that the Chinese matches the English and have a clause in there saying, um, in the case of litigation, the English version prevails. But I can tell you, if you go to court anyway, the judge will tell you to get the English version then translated again and notarized into Chinese in order to enforce it. Um, and translations cost money. So um, understanding this will help you kind of realize it's maybe not as big a deal as you think on the principle that you're most likely not going to enforce it. Um, go with English if you're comfortable. Um, if it's a different scale of project and you really think there's a possibility you have to enforce it, then you know I would actually go for English and Chinese. That's generally the way I look at it. And again, it comes back to your significance matters, right? Be realistic with yourself. Look at the volume you're buying. Look at the designs you're making, and just you know take a deep reflection on how easy is it to modify that design slightly. How easy is it? How many similar products are there in the market? that a quick Google search might show or disclose. Um, there's just so much out there anyway that there's not a lot of um, confidentiality in your product anyway. So keep those things in mind. So obviously that brings us to the most important part is are there better ways to protect your IP? Now, I want you to think about this a little bit holistically, right? There isn't one miracle um, answer that says oh this will protect your ip it's the sum of everything is what protects your ip and that's the sum of things like um i better go point to the slide the sum of all your activities that's really what ends up protecting your ip and giving you the competitive edge so for example yes you can have an nda agreement but have you thought about document control right if you want to enforce a high-level NNN agreement with lots of controls, lots of restrictions, you know, it then also becomes your responsibility to control the way you distribute documents, right? That means a coding system on documents, version control on documents. It means marking documents as private and confidential so that they fit into the scope of the NNN agreement. Um, you know, you can't just generally, you know, if you try to say, oh, every single thing I send you is private and confidential, um, and then it's actually not, but then this one is, you, you can see how the lines can quickly become blurred. It's right? very, so, you can very easily mess things up and then it, confuse yourself too. It, it, exactly. And then you set some precedents and then it wasn't clear that this was a confidential document and that one isn't a confidential document. So you can see how it starts getting messy, just relying heavily on just the NNN agreement. 
because the first offense will be, well, do you have document control? Do you have version control? How do you distribute them? Uh, how do you know this particular document falls under the NNN? And so on and so forth. So I'm just giving you the whole picture, mm -hmm. not to frighten anybody, but just to think about all the things that are effective, right? So for example, with document control, you might want to say, well, actually, I'm going to have two folders, one called confidential documents, where I only share read-only versions, and I only share with somebody after I've got an NDA in place. And then you've got another folder where you've got non-confidential documents. So, and mark those documents. So that's a step you can definitely take to reduce risk. There's document redaction, right? So I often get asked, you know, sometimes you have to share some information with the supplier, um, but you still, even if you've got an NNN, maybe you don't have an NNN, but you do have to disclose some information in order for them to give you a quote or give you an idea. And, you know, another common way to protect your IP is document redaction. So you actually black out certain key parts or key bits of information that you don't want them to see. And that's a really good practice, but you'll find most people don't go to that level of document control and document redaction, but um, it's a very, very useful and helpful way to share information and get some feedback from factories without disclosing everything. Um, sharing tools, you know, there's a lot of tools, Google Docs, you, you, there's ways to share tools that people, that people can't download documents. Of course, they can screenshot them, but normally when there's a lot, it's a bigger job. Um, make them view only, you can track who's viewing them. You know, there, there, there's a lot of tools out there that really help you control your RP in a better way. Trademarks, this is my absolute favorite. Um, uh, for, for me, the single best way to protect yourself is registering your trademark. I think, Joyce, you know that. I talk about it for years and every call that comes up, we talk about trademarks. Protecting your trademark in China is just, for me, it's, it's like your name and reputation. If somebody said, oh, David does X, Y, Z, it would be hurt me, right? Because I care about my personal reputation. And it's the same with the brand, right? If your brand is Apple, they care about everything they do because their name matters to them. And even if people go rip off Apple phones and Apple laptops and every other Apple product, people still know it's not Apple because mm -hmm. their trademark represents their integrity as a business, their after-sale service, their quality as a product, their reliability, and so many other things not just, oh, it's the coolest design or, oh, you know, all, all, all those other things. So um, trademarks are probably for me one of the best ways to protect your IP. Then keep in mind, you know, outside of an NNN is your know-how, right? I can go copy an Apple phone. It doesn't mean I can market it, distribute it, set up cloud services, infrastructure. Most people don't know how to do that. So even if they copy your product, Remember, there's a lot of know-how in your business. How do you acquire your customers? How do you get your traffic? How do you do your product listings? You know, how do you do your digital marketing? How do you distribute it to the retail market? There's a lot of know-how that trumps the effectiveness of an NNN because not, people mm. can't just copy a product and overnight they've got a business, right? There's operational know-how. There's accounting know-how, financial know-how. So don't underestimate the importance and the fact that not everybody can just copy something and execute it and generate sales and create a business out of it. You know, most importantly is 
managing your customer base. And that is really never sharing your customer details with anyone. Um, even if they copy a product, they can't go to your customers. You own your customers, you own the relationship with your customers. Um, and as you acquire and accumulate more customers, you build that reputation through your trademark and the name they get to know you under, you know, it becomes a very um, robust infrastructure you're building. And when you look at it from all these perspectives, and of course, patents, you've got patents in place, which become legal protections, should be on my list, I don't know why it's not. Um, you realize there's so many more factors that affect your success that the NNN agreement almost becomes one of the smallest parts of that. Because even with that NNN agreement in place, there's a whole bunch of other things here that you may not be able to execute on. Um, and the biggest one for me as well is time to market. And we spoke about, um, you know, how long do you take an NNN agreement? You know, time to market is everything. When you get to the market first, you set the precedent, you don't miss the major promotions or sales. That's the most important aspect. I, I have seen people spend months on an NNN agreement and by the time they finish that, they haven't even started developing the product, getting samples, checking the factory out, placing purchase orders. There's a lot to do to get to market. Put the NNN agreement into context, find quick solutions around it and move on because there's a lot that has to be done before you're selling that product successfully. So look at it very holistically, right? And shrink the NNN agreement down into its place. It has a place, it has an importance, but it's not the overarching importance. What really is the overarching importance is are you being 100% responsible? And what I mean when I say that is having an NN agreement is in no way going to help you and protect you. It's going to do its 10% job, maybe it's 5% job. You being 100% responsible is taking all those list of items that I gave you in the previous slide and saying, I've got that, 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 right? And I've done all those things right because that's going to basically give you that holistic approach to protecting your IP. Are you setting expectations clearly? You know, what is the reason for the NNN agreement, right? What are the costs involved, right? Um, practicality, everything I've just discussed about comes down to practicality. And do you have document control um, and the weight you carry, right? And that's what I call being 100% responsible is if you understand all these aspects of the RP, understand the enforceability, understand the costs of enforceability, understanding the role you have in the, that ecosystem of the, of the supplier relationship is be realistic. Be 100% responsible for the fact that what you can do, what you can't do, how much you can buy, and just how valuable your product is, right? Um, for example, a quick Google search often shows a hundred similar products to designs people make with some variations. So in a case like that, I go, well, more so than a design patent or more so than the NNN saying copy your design because you've come up with something clever or slightly different, get to market quickly. Get to market quickly. The, the winning formula is sales, right? Get to market quickly. Let the customers and consumers decide it's a great idea or not a great idea. 
because most likely no one's going to copy it anyway until it's a success. So keep that in mind. And that's what I really call being 100% responsible. Don't just say, oh, I've got an in agreement, therefore I'm safe, right? Because you're not being responsible to yourself and to your business. Say, am I clear about all of these points? Have I done the right thing in all of these areas? And if I haven't, just be okay with that because maybe there's a cost implication, maybe there's an uncertainty impl implication. You know, you don't want to overinvest in a product until it's got some sales traction. So that's really what I call being 100% responsible for your IP. So the two key takeaways for me on this NNN and NDA discussion is be 100% responsible and clear about all the ways of protecting your IP. Be realistic about your recourse and who you are dealing with. It does come down to relationship and it does come down to what are you going to do if you suspect there's a breach. If you take those two takeaways with you, you'll look at it from a very different context and a very different perspective. That's very good. I completely agree. And I mean, like, makes sense, all of it. Uh, there's a lot of responsibility as a customer, as everybody, to make sure that we have all the understanding and also, like, know how to do it, too. And how much money and time is going to cost about, like, building your own business and stuff like that, too. 100%. And exactly. And, and for anybody listening, if you want to, if you've got an issue you want to talk through, if you need more advice, you know, feel free to hop onto our website, globaltkm.com. We do free discovery calls. Either I do them or Joyce does them. Um, for 15 minutes, we can talk through any particular issues you have around NNN agreements or any particular issue around manufacturing or sourcing. You know, we'd love to help you wherever we can. Um, our goal is to give you a team on the ground in China and make life easy for you. Thank you for listening to the GlobalTQM.com podcast. So you don't miss a single episode, remember to subscribe to our show on iTunes. We'd also be very grateful if you'd leave us an honest rating and review. And don't forget to download your free gift, our ebook on China sourcing for startups at GlobalTQM.com slash gift. Mm -hmm.